Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. She was the daughter of a military leader, the sister of an emperor, the wife and niece of another emperor, the mother of yet another emperor, and the star of an epic tale of murder, intrigue, scheming, and survival in ancient Rome. The end. Welcome to the show. Today we're going to talk about Agrippina the Younger, and this show is dedicated to Bill Rainey. Thanks, Bill. This is for you. Julia Agrippina was born on November 6, 15 AD, in what is now modern-day Cologne, Germany. She's the fourth living child and the first daughter of Germanicus and Agrippina the Elder. Before we even get into this, and since an interesting place in history is nearly impossible unless you are some kind of classic scholar, let me give you this. The last time we saw the Romans, that is to say the last time we saw them here, they crossed our paths on this show, was the last years of Cleopatra's life. So first, we got probably the most recognizable name, Julius Caesar, and then we ended with Mark Anthony, who died with her. Cleopatra in the year 30 BC. So Agrippina was born 45 years after that happened. But wait, there is a key player in Cleopatra's downfall who also appears in this story. So we've got a little continuity here. So I don't know if you remember Cleopatra's and Mark Anthony's enemy, Octavian, whose plan to exhibit her in a parade, super embarrassing, back in Rome led Cleopatra to suicide. But surprise, history also knows Octavian as Augustus, the first emperor in a dynasty of five emperors that ruled Rome for almost a hundred years. This man ruled for half of them, and he was our Agrippina's great-grandfather. Agrippina's own father, Germanicus, had been considered to succeed the great man, but instead, Augustus had made his heir, his stepson Tiberius, adopt Germanicus, like, you'll be the third in line. So think about that. This Agrippina that we're about to cover is pretty high up there. I mean, she's practically in the royal family, if, you know, if we can call it a royal family. She's very, very important. You know what I think is interesting? When we talked about Cleopatra, Augustus was kind of the enemy, but now he kind of becomes a little bit of the hero, you know, because he's like grounding this whole family together. Well, and he brought some stability and he brought some, I have to say, common sense. Now, Keep in mind this whole time, there's nobody in this family, or honestly, it seems like in this society, that has the basic respect for human life that we do today. No. <laughs> I'm just saying, human life seems real cheap. Oh, de- yeah, definitely. Switching my mindset took a couple minutes for me. when I was, I'm like, oh, wait, he was a bad guy. No, now he's kind of the good guy. Mama and Papa were second cousins. We've talked about that before. And actually, in royal marriages back then, that was kind of a respectful distance. Well, let's talk about Papa's upbringing a little bit. His mother was the niece of this great emperor, Augustus, the daughter of Mark Anthony. So he's pretty high up there, too, although laterally. So he was a war hero. The troops loved him. He's like one of those coaches that bring out the best in everyone, but don't take any crap. And he wrote poetry, so epic that philosophers were practically in love with him. He was handsome. He was triangular. 
shall I say? I don't know. So he was the man. He he put the man in Germanicus. Uh, in lieu of Superman, this is who you'd put up on a poster over your bed if there'd been posters or if you were lucky enough to have a bed. He's famous. Okay, That's so what I'm saying about Germanicus. <laughs> but Mama wasn't any slouch herself. She, now, she was the granddaughter of Emperor Augustus. She was the only natural blood granddaughter. And he had died actually only just a year before Agrippina, our Agrippina, the younger, was born. So Tiberius had just taken over ruling uh, when Agrippina came on the scene. And the Roman Empire was kind of in a little bit of turmoil because there's a new emperor. So all the edges that Augustus had just claimed for their, you know, as part of the empire had to be protected a little bit. So Germanicus was the guy to go around and do that. Now, Mama, she was really unusual for a Roman military wife in that she went with him. It kind of reminded me of Catherine of Aragon's family. You know, there's like all, the whole family is going on all these military campaigns around the, in the Roman empire. Now, she was outspoken. She was very strong. I mean, she had to have been to just survive in this really twisted, I mean, literally and figuratively, family tree that she was in. This is important, too. She loved her husband, and he loved her. How rare is that in an aristocratic marriage in any era? They had a genuine mutual admiration society in, in a time when duty and a woman was tied up in childbearing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the mere fact that she had six living children, the mere fact of this made her a model Roman woman. It's almost like you got more respect the more children you have. In fact, there was a financial bonus for having more than three children. So six children. Wow. She was so much more than that. Well, let's just say the historians weren't necessarily so fond of this part of her personality, but she was a great advisor and she was, quote, eager to throw off the defects of womanhood to take up the prerogatives of men. So I read that as she was her own person. I think she sounds like a suffragist. You know, can't you just take her plunker out of ancient Rome and, you know, put her up on the dais with uh, Susan B. Anthony? She wasn't advocating for rights for women for everybody, really. Yeah, just for herself. <laughs> she just took them. She didn't ask. Yeah, um, yeah. Sometimes she had a temper that had to be restrained. Um, but it was a really good partnership, I think. She was a good advisor to her husband, but didn't usurp, at least in front of people, his um, authority. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like I said, she was not a very typical Roman military wife. And I, I kind of love that about this family. You would think that in an environment like that, the kids would, you know, be a little bit more grounded. I, I don't know. I love the story of her um, distributing food and clothing and helping calm a panic during that tumultuous time of Tiberius taking over. She got her hands dirty. You know what I mean? Here's what I like about both Agrippinas, really. But Agrippina, the older walked the talk. Mm -hmm. Roman matrons were supposed to be gracious and dignified and diligent about their duties. We are placed here by the gods and we must act in our sphere and we must do good and blah, blah, blah. And it was just considered, I don't know, she was just an all-around model of a woman in the way that her husband was an absolute model of a man, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they deserved the accolades that they got posthumously. Oops, spoiler alert. <laughs> Aw. There is another little fact of all these children being on the battlefield that we should take note of. It comes in a little later. The littlest brother was known as Caligula. His name was actually Gaius, but 
The troops all called him Caligula because he wore a full military outfit made small. How cute is that? Like, totally you know the little cute. kids wear capes around? They sure do at the grocery store. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. He's in full military gear, including the little, they call them boots, but they are like gladiator sandals. You would not be allowed to wear these at an average summer camp because your toes, you know, stick it out. <laughs> so um, they made him little tiny ones, and they were called Caligay. And so he was known as Caligula or Little Boots. Little Boots. I, you think of your image of Caligula now. And just imagining this little cute little boy playing soldier. It just kind of blows your mind just a little bit. <laughs> well, and uh, Mama actually quelled a rebellion once by saying, sadly, with great regret, I'm so sorry. You guys are being so crazy and it's getting so violent around here that I'm taking my children away, especially Caligula, your mascot, because really he's not safe around you. And I, that hurts my heart about this. And, um, you know, I'm going to miss you. But really, if you guys don't calm down, I'm out. And they totally calmed down. They did. I know. I just, I just imagining them. Yes, ma'am. We're sorry. You know, all in unison. It's kind of funny. So let's now, get back to our narrative. So Papa had sort of defied Tiberius, his emperor, by continuing to raid over this river that, I mean, this was supposed to be the dividing line. More importantly, he was getting this cult of personality. The troops loved him. The press, using this metaphorically, could not get over his image. So macho, so brave, so magnetic. The troops had been heard, observed, noted to want him, Germanicus, to be their emperor instead. So threatening, right? If you're the emperor, you don't want some guy who really almost got tapped for your job instead of you to be this kind of massive rock star. You don't. So reassignment. Let's separate him from these troops and send him someplace else so he has to start from scratch. That's at least going to buy me some time. Yeah, right. And Papa and Mama kind of thought better of taking the children into this unknown situation. And so Agrippina and her siblings were sent back to Rome to live with uh, Grandma Livia. Except sort of curiously to me, I think the youngest son, Caligula, got to go with them. I could be wrong. Well, he was a hood ornament. Well, yeah, this worked last time. <laughs> yeah, right. Just could you just see Germanicus like tucking him under his arm and carrying him like a football? You know, <laughs> little boys love that, by the way. Let's do this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I have to say, you know, Germanicus didn't. He didn't actually always play by the rules. Oh no. Uh, oh no, no, no. They, he had a couple incidences there. For instance, there is an unauthorized trip into Egypt. Can where... I please tell you again? He's closer to the space shuttle than to the makers of the pyramids at Giza. So I just really want to emphasize again, in a time travel situation, it takes less time to get to, you know, New York City (laughs) than it takes to get to Giza. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And it's important that we keep saying that because, you know, the timeline of history is so, we just think of it as being all compacted together. And it's it's not. Um, he did step on a few uh, toes and he it was an unauthorized trip and some protocols were missed. Egypt was a relatively new notch on the belt, the singulum. I looked it up. This guy, if you're Tiberius, this freaking guy is just like doing whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. You can't have people go into Egypt marching around acting like the boss because people get the idea that he's the boss. Well, so, oh, ho, right after the arrival of an envoy from the emperor, hey, presto, this completely healthy man got sick and died immediately. (coughs) Poison. (coughs) Well, the first mention of poison in our narrative, but not the last, I assure you. So the country just grieved. The resulting 
I guess you'd call it PDA. It's not like smooching, but it, it reminds me of when Princess Di um, died. Oh, yeah. There's the shock, like, where were you when you heard this? I mm-hmm. can't state enough how much of a national figure Papa was, and he died right at the height of his power and glory. And uh, he was just the focus for just grief, like public mourning. So Mama came back with Papa's ashes, which is a vivid enough cultural memory to be the subject of paintings as late as the 1850s. It is seared in the mind uh, and transmitted down through the ages. And Mama made no bones about blaming that enemy, that envoy, whose name was Piso, and letting it be known that as far as she was concerned, Emperor Tiberius put him up to it. And public opinion was raging so furiously that Tiberius was pretty well forced to put Piso on trial for murder and to convict him. Suicide doesn't matter because a lot of times you're executed by being forced to commit suicide. So word is, of course, that was done to keep Piso from spilling the beans on his emperor. So it was never fully settled. There's always that doubt. There's always these people that are always going to be on her side. Mm-hmm. For the rest of our story. Well, you know, you'll be the judge. Get what Tiberius said to Mama. Not, oh, I'm sorry about your husband, or he was a great man, or blah, blah, blah. And if you're not queen, my dear, have I done you wrong? And then a big, creepy, scary, sketchy smile. What a wacko. <laughs> By the way, you've seen Tiberius, at least some of you have. If you were raised in the Christian religion, Tiberius was the Roman emperor for the entirety of the time Jesus is supposed to be alive. Render under Caesar, what is Caesar's? Well, that was one of the places in histories that I had put down, and then I got all... That was, like, the easiest one. I was like, oh, where was Jesus? <laughs> then I'm like, oh, what else is going on? It was it was a tricky thing to do. I, I didn't... I failed. For now, Mama and her six children moved to... I'm going to call it the Palatine Hill, but if you are Italian, it's the Palatina. Um, So you can still tour the palace of Livia, where our Agrippina lived from the ages of about 4 to 13. So, I mean, obviously it's not in awesome shape, but it is well-preserved. Augustus's palace is up there, too. It's a whole whole big tour. I've got a link from uh, Lonely Planet coverage. It even gives you the number of the bus to get on to get there. So (laughs) all kinds of travel tips for you there. But the problem is, this far back... And with a girl child, not much is known about Agrippina during these childhood years. I mean, a girl child stayed at home, after all, and there were hundreds of slaves to do just about anything you can think of, even highly educated Greek men that could act as tutors. So I was looking at this, and it seems like boys and girls alike learn to read and write, and you'd want to be up on your history, especially since it's your family that is in the book in the first place, and the families you see are going to be involved in it all around you. I mean, I think everybody learns, you know, Latin, Greek, storytelling, those kind of skills. But around Mm -hmm. the age of nine, that kind of split in education that persisted until the late 19th century happens, where the boys go off to learn philosophy, mathematics, oratory, get in, like, what we would consider an actual education, like an academic education. And the girls made a turn into domestic affairs. So you got household management, music, and sewing and weaving. And I'm so struck by the last one, the weaving. So even though there's any number of slaves to weave cloth, it was a mark of proper womanhood, like a symbol. Okay, second mention of Catherine Aragon. Oh, that's what I was just thinking. (laughs) She used to make Henry VIII's shirts herself, her personal self, 
pride. He loved wearing them. It felt awesome that his paragon of virtue, at least for the first 20-some years, made his shirts. So the girls were taught to weave cloth. I love it. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> and something more important she learned, but something I don't, I don't know how to quite describe this exactly. So you're living under the same roof, or at least in the same circles, as the mother of the man who had your own father killed. Someone rumored to have got legitimate heirs out of the way to make room for her own son, Tiberius. But on the outside, you know, you've got dignity and virtue and the very ideal of Roman womanhood, who nonetheless had such influence on her husband and policy. So is this acting ability or intrigue or having a duality or maybe I just mean how to survive as a woman in this family you know you have to work through the men you're associated with and then maybe learning to be comfortable with a certain level of danger that you just have to swim around in yeah your life is a piranha tank (laughs) (laughs) but it's you've only lived in the piranha tank so you don't really know any differently you know what I mean your cortisol level would be high or would you just be like to be you person with knife in you I don't know my I'm covered in hives right now for life stressors so I I don't know that I would have survived I would have scratched myself to death I think (laughs) oh dear Agrippina appears again in history, legitimately, upon the occasion of her marriage. Um, She was only 13 years of age, which is pretty normal. I'd say 12 was where, you know, you became marriageable, and most girls married before 16. Okay, so so he's a sort of cousin, this new husband, a man named Gnaeus Domitius Ahenobarbus, which means bronze beard. I'm so glad you did that last name, because I was on Forvo, and I I kept botching it. And she botched botch. It's a multi-layer meta mispronunciation. It's kind of my trademark. It will never beat what you said in the Jane Austen episode where you said you had a loss of continence. <laughs> Shut up. Instead of a loss of countenance. Yeah, well, I think that one line made a loss of a lot of beverages in people's mouths because I got a lot of emails about spitting on their... <laughs> like, on one hand, I want comments. to make a shirt, but nobody's wearing a shirt with loss of continence on it. So it's like... <laughs> cancels itself out. I know. So back to the story. Mr. Hanna-Barbas was at least 30, possibly even 50 at the time, likely 30 years old. Yeah. Historians paint him as a seriously mean guy, mm-hmm. like purposely running over a child in the street with his vehicle, cheating at games, welshing on bets, pulling out people's eyes. I read one story where he killed one of his servants for refusing to drink the amount of liquid that he told him to drink. So that's a huge penalty for losing at a drinking game, you know? Now, who's to say if these stories are true or if he just got on the wrong side of the right historian? You know what I mean? Oh, I know. So he had the right bloodline, uh, and any male child that our young Agrippina had would be in the running for the top job. Although I have to say, again, as I've said before, who wants it? (laughs) Who would choose to be royal? By all means, give me a country house with geraniums and olives to eat and a whole barrel of wine. And I'll watch the ocean and I'll have no power. The end. It just Anne of Cleves me. Absolutely. (laughs) Who would want the struggle? I don't know. Her new husband had uh, was a wealthy man. He had a townhouse and he had country houses. Let's draw a veil back over Agrippina for a moment. And we need to take a look at what was happening to Mama, who was sort of a focus for anyone who had bad feelings for the emperor. 
She was overheard saying, how dare you, Tiberius, not even with real rights to your rule, how dare you shed the blood of the legitimate heir? Mm, grumblings and mumblings and rumors made their way to Tiberius because, I mean, come on, there's spies everywhere and there's tattletales everywhere. You've been in an office. Yeah. Come on. You don't say things in the break room around people you think are going to run right upstairs. And she sure did it. And well, you've I, been on Facebook. I know someone who lost her job because she made a comment. I do not have a lot of work people on Facebook. I'll tell you that right now. I know. You could easily have somebody who's connected to work people. Oh. It's like, oh, yeah, Beckett. I know her. She said something that, that, that. Oh, Please. so you're the crazy third wife she talks about on the podcast. <laughs> oh, I mean, did I say that out loud? Oh, dear. I sure hope that gets out. Okay. I'm covering my mouth so I don't laugh too loud. <laughs> See, Agrippina, you got to mean it and you got to not care when it gets out. Okay, so, <laughs> so um, Emperor Tiberius finally had to lay down the smack or he had to look weak. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he was kind of forced into a corner. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Tiberius is a gigantic bag of suckitude. But also, there's only so far you can push a guy that has the power to kill you. So when Germanicus had been dying all those years ago, he begged her, please lay aside your temper. I love you. You're prone to pop off. Bring it down. She had not followed her husband's advice. She's got these six kids at this point, and two of them are teenage boys. So she has a couple pawns to play. So she knows that. So she's playing it. Tiberius knows that. And he had a son that he could green to the job. But Papa Germanicus's supporters thought Mama's sons might be a little bit better suited. And Mama was making some comments about how, yes, I think they might be. But... When Mama asked if she could get remarried, Tiberius just kind of ignored her because that would give her even more power and she could have more supporters. So um, she kind of started to suspect that maybe he might want to offer and she kind of snubbed his dinner invitation and definitely didn't eat the food, which Tiberius kind of took as an insult. There are several occasions during many of these reigns where somebody is so insulted that someone dared to take antidotes before they came over and i'm like <laughs> it's common sense oh yeah i'd be like all antidote all the time yeah okay. locket has antidote in it i have a bracelet with antidote instead of a watch i know i have antidote lotion all over my body so i, I just have to lick my, my arm my hairdo. <laughs> i'm all about it I... mama and agrippina's oldest brother nero had been under house arrest since before she was married but now she learned They'd been exiled to a prison on an island off the coast of Naples. They're called the Pontian Islands, and man, they look pretty now. But oh my gosh, no kidding! I was yeah. like, I'm looking them up. I want to go there. I'm gonna uh, link to the show in the show notes to their tourist information. <laughs> and it's kind of weird how it's. I was just thinking, like, okay, so now if you didn't know any of this, you would just be like full of content. And solitude and Prosecco, likely. And I know, right? Whatever else. And you would just be so happy to be there. But it's so layered with just human misery. It was a very common place to exile people. And exile meaning, well, in, in these people's case, at least, you are confined in a prison on the island. You're not just simply having to make your way in life on an island. Yeah, you're not walking the beach and picking wildflowers. And Agrippina's brother, Nero, committed suicide while in prison. And again committed suicide or was he forced to commit suicide we don't know but he's dead mama ended up going on a hunger strike that ended up in force feeding we've all seen that suffragette movie then 
a beating until one of her eyes fell out. Ultimately, both she and her second son were starved to death. That that was their sentence. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her brother is reported to have eaten his mattress in desperation, like the filling of his mattress, all the hay and all the stuff that Mm -hmm. was in there. Mm -hmm. So in one short period of time, Agrippina's older brother Nero, her older brother Drusus, and her mother are all dead. And at this point, you're an 18-year-old girl. Just by your birth, you're fully in this. You're not getting out. The fear, the uncertainty, if your husband is powerful enough or even wants to bother to protect you. Yeah. He's super not, you know, huggy, I love you, man. No, and he had two sisters who were, I oh, I could only imagine the evil stepsisters in Cinderella because they were just not very nice people. And they were also making our Agrippina's life a little bit miserable. So she must have been covered in hives too, right? How much more fear then from her last brother, Caligula, who didn't have matronly wifely excuses for disappearing into obscurity do you know what i'm saying he had Mm -hmm. to live with old sort of uncle tiberius the agent of his trauma on the island of capri tiberius even bragged that he was purposely turning caligula into and i quote a viper for the roman people so i hate to think about the punishment or psychological trauma tiberius was gleefully subjecting caligula to for Mm -hmm. Six years on the Isle of Capri. Yeah, the training that he was getting. Yeah. You know, we look back on just this list of things, and then somehow Mm -hmm. we just think, oh, they must have been, you know, tougher in those days. And maybe after so much stress they were, but these are just very young people. They're not characters in books. I mean, both of them, particularly, because they're the ones in the public. He's the youngest brother. She's the oldest daughter. So they're, Mm -hmm. you know. Both in the public eye, they had to learn to keep it all inside. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so reminded of there's this character, Bridget Fonda plays in Point of No Return, where like chaos, madness, murder, violence is happening all around her. And she has to smile and say, oh, I never mind about the little things. And that saves her life. So on this wonderful high note <laughs> of familial <laughs> conviviality, such joy, such calmness. <laughs> Let's all meet for Thanksgiving dinner. Let's we a... are family. <laughs> so it's time to take a little break. And when we come back, we'll see what happens because, oh, things will be accelerating. And we are back. It is year 37. Agrippina is about 22. And this year is a big game changer in her life. First off, Tiberius. The man who's been making their lives all stressful and is unfortunately the emperor. He got very sick. Um, He'd thrown a javelin in a ceremonial game. Sports, right? Um, He injured his shoulder. Um, He became sick, went into a coma. His doctors, he'd been like on a kooky train for years and doctors hadn't even looked at him. So they finally examined him, looked at his body in this coma and they're like, oh, He's gone. He's a goner. It's just a matter of minutes. So his successor, Caligula, was sent for. The guard announced their devotion to Caligula, but then he kind of like sat up. (laughs) He's like, hey, I'm awake. But someone took care of it, according to this story. That was the thing that's crazy. I'm like reading these cool stories, and then I go back to look at something else for verification of them, and they're nowhere there, but they're such cool stories. I want to tell them, (laughs) you know, but... 
we have to tell them with this heavy disclaimer that this is only one version of it. But just can you imagine? He's like, oh, he's dead. He's dead. Wait, what's going on? So one of the guard comes over and kind of smothers him in his blanket. And the problem is solved. And Caligula is now the emperor. There was open cheering in the streets when people heard about it. Mm -hmm. And then word came out that he'd recovered. And everyone's like, oh, crap. And then they're like, no, just kidding. He's really dead. They're like, yay! (laughs) Comedy. I mean, comedy, not, I mean, how sad that people openly cheer in the streets when you die. That's all I'm saying. So then something personal happened in Agrippina's life. This same year, Agrippina gave birth to a baby, her one and only child, who was named Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus. But history, and from now on us, (laughs) will come to know him simply as Nero. Now, when congratulated on the birth of his son, unfortunately, Mr. Agrippina said, anything Agrippina and I produce is likely to be a monstrosity. He's a winner, you know? He's a winner. (laughs) Or else that was a backdated prediction. Spoiler alert, Nero ends up being a bad guy. So this could have been as most of these histories were written years afterward, um, like a little prophecy inserted in the story for dramatic effect later. Yeah. So at first, everyone was so excited about the change in regime. So there's a young, attractive man. He's the son of Germanicus. Carries a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. Um, Finally, we're back on track. Like, they called him our baby, our star. 150,000 animals were slaughtered in joy at the altar of him. They're so happy. And Caligula made his sisters famous. At the beginning, they were even pictured on coins as the three virtues of security, concord, and fortune. He gave them um, all the perks of the Vestal Virgins. Except, you know, without actually having to be a virgin. And when I was reading, I was I was in this goofy mood and I was going, what's up with those Vestal Virgins? And my daughter walked by and she's like, what the hell are you talking about? So I, okay. They were carefully selected women who were lifted up super high in the societal ladder. They were selected between the ages of 6 and 10 and selected by the emperor. They had to be of noble birth. Their parents had to be alive. They had to be free of mental or physical deformities. And they had to agree to remain a virgin for the length of their tenure, which was about 30 years. But on the flip side, they would not become property of any man. They had influence. They had an extremely posh life. um, And their job was to guard the sacred flame that kept the city safe they're kind of like married to the city like nuns are married to the church and you know i was thinking about this you know in medieval times or even during the tudor era it seems like nuns had an extremely long lifespan compared to other women why would that be it's because they didn't have to go through the risk of childbirth which knocked you out early yeah I mean, yeah. it knocked a lot of you out early. And so, of course, nuns would live longer. They, the main risk facing you, well, not enough to eat, which also nuns didn't really have to face, and neither did the Vestal Virgins. The main things that could kill you don't apply. So even though you had a 30-year commitment, <laughs> and in a place where, you know, the average woman might not live that long, that seems like, oh, that's a lifetime. But you actually had a good chance of coming out the other side. Oh, absolutely. Unless, of course, you know, you broke some of your vows and then because you could be buried alive. Because you can't or, spill the blood of a Vestal Virgin. You had to bury her alive. Yep, right. And then sometimes they were used as the scapegoats for military failure or if something bad happened to the city. It was like, oh, the Vestal Virgins dropped the ball. That's a risk you take, right? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, they got to sit in the best seats at any event. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if that is quite enough recompense for that kind of risk, but... Mm. Yeah. Um, so another thing that he did for his sisters is he included his sisters in the oath of loyalty everyone had to give to the emperor. Emperor Gaius and his sisters. A note on Emperor Gaius. Caligula hates the childhood nickname Caligula. It's not dignified. It's like still being Billy. Oh, yeah. Which is actually one of the reasons why I like calling him Caligula. Yes. <laughs> oh, you don't like it. Hmm? <laughs> the first, say, half a year or so, a very minimal time of his reign were pretty blissful. You know, he was living up to his expectations. He was doing some really nice things for his family. You know, Riku, we are family. I mean, he brought the remains of his mother and his brother back for a proper burial um he treated uncle claudius who was kind of how do you describe uncle claudius i'm like imagining the uncle that you everybody rolls their eyes at you know he's not a dork but he's just kind of different he's got a tick um he might have been hard of hearing his i don't know dork is pretty good because it implies like kind of a lovable that nobody took seriously yes yes So Uncle Claudius is, you know, being treated very well, and the sisters are being treated very well. And you know why I think that is? This is just a theory. Tiberius was not blood-related to Augustus, but guess who is? Caligula. Guess who else is? Uncle Claudius. Guess who else is? His sisters. I think he's showing the people, okay, the blood is back. Right. Sorry about what happened before. The right people are back. Then, mm, 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 then Caligula started getting so paranoid about people angling for his job or trying to kill him or whatnot. Close male relatives all over the place woke up dead, as they say. <laughs> um, female relatives who objected to all this were driven to suicide or poison. Now, on one hand, like, that's not an unreasonable fear, necessarily, because mm-hmm. people probably were intriguing, because, you know, that's how oh, this sure. family is. But get this. He once ordered a whole section of the audience at a spectacle to be randomly thrown to the predator animals in the arena. I mean... Oh, yeah. It's not the Colosseum yet, by the way. No, no. uh, Some years from the Colosseum. But uh, that is seriously crazy. He fought with the Senate. He dismayed the public. He was a damaged man. I think we can safely say he was a damaged man. I have to say the thing I, quote, knew about Caligula before I ever really read about him was that he once had an iron bull made, B-U-L-L, a boy cow, Mm -hmm. hollow, made with a door, made out of iron, and he would put a slave in there at parties, and then fires would be lit under, and all the painful screams the slave made inside of the red-hot iron bull would come out of the open bull's mouth, and wasn't that hilarious? Oh, yeah. So, who knows if that story's true, because... If we feel bad about you, we're going to immortalize you as a crazy psycho. Some of them you have to, whoever wrote the stories down, they're like, okay, because somebody else is in power, we got to make this guy look super bad so that the guy that's now in power, he's a much better alternative than this crazy guy with the slave bull. Well, he was rumored to be having incestuous affairs with his sisters, which probably was a reaction to their unexpected public faces, I think. What is happening? You know? Yeah, yeah. It's a new thing. They must be sleeping together because why else yeah well he was really fond of his sister Drusilla he had her divorced from her husband uh, married her off to one of his friends named her as an heir you know really they were around together a lot so yeah rumors were gonna swirl here's another story that like explains it all I just love these stories I don't 
I don't know how they come up with this stuff. And maybe it's true. You know what I'm saying? It's like the Weekly World News or the Star Magazine. You know, maybe there's just like a teeny tiny little bit of truth in it. Yeah. Yeah. So I read in one book, he had a great admiration for the Egyptians who had kept all the power in the family by marrying their sisters. Mm. I'm like, okay. So the implication of that particular historian was that he wanted to marry his sister Drusilla to keep it all in the family. What we do know is that once that sister, Drusilla, died, natural causes, sort of rare. I know, right? It's like he just cracked, kind of. He just, something went wrong. Yeah, he stayed by her side and he grieved her death hard. I mean, for a family that people are dying all the time, he took this one really hard. And he honored her in her death as if she was his wife, you know, in that same level of reverence. And then he exiled his other two sisters off to the Pontine Islands with you again. And he seized all of their property for the crown. See, they've been accused of plotting against their brother to put Drusilla's ex-husband on the throne. Which might well have been true. Yeah, I know. Because he's really card-carrying crazy at this point. It um, it doesn't matter, though, if it's true or not true. The fact is, he thinks it's true. The end the sheer amount of stuff that had to flow into the capital, by the way, just based on this seizure, disrupted the food supply for a week or two to Rome. There were shortages because all the traffic was coming in from all the stuff he had taken from her. And he started doing that to a lot of people. I need money, therefore I'm going to seize the goods of so-and-so who I'm going to accuse of. And then, you know, figuratively you spin the wheel. What's going to yeah, right. <laughs> Um Agrippina's son was sent to live with an aunt. After Mr. Ahina Barbas died. So Agrippina was now a widow. And this might have been it. Uh, mostly those islands seem like a one-way ticket, really. Except for Caligula had gotten so bad that members of his guard killed him and his wife and his baby. The end. The end. I know. You know, for a little more on Caligula, I am going to just say you should go listen to the Emperors of Rome podcast. It's episodes 13 to 15. They go into Caligula himself. I would like to expound upon him, but as it's, he's really not our subject. No. And, he, and at this point, he's dead, so. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just saying, though, if you want to know more about him, there are other podcasts, and we'll provide you some links at the end, because, um, you know, learning about the men in this system is a good way to learn about th- what the women had to go through. So who's the new guy, then? Oh, ho. This is kind of a giant surprise. Pretty much to everyone, even the people that made it happen. Germanicus, hero of all heroes, had had a brother. We've spoken of him, Claudius, a brother who stuttered and limped, and modern scholars think might have even had cystic fibrosis, a man who'd been kept out of the public eye in his youth because he was viewed as an embarrassment. But he was kept in the public eye, kind of for comic relief, by his nephew Caligula. And now... He was the emperor because the army wanted an emperor. The end. And he seemed manageable enough. And he's got the right blood. So it's Agrippina's real blood uncle, real blood uncle, who immediately canceled his niece's exiles and brought them back and restored most of their fortunes. Most importantly, restored Agrippina's son to her. Yay. So Agrippina is back, and she really needed a new husband to protect her and to have more children with imperial blood. After all, she's only 25. 
and the upper classes have a serious fertility problem. More on that in a minute. I actually looked up the Roman fertility problem. Oh, you did? Yes, I did. So we're looking around. A husband for Agrippina, a husband for Agrippina. So she herself had made an overture to a man named Galba, who had actually been in the running to be emperor instead of Claudius. But he was not down. Um, he was not down to disrupt his life. And he was married and he loved his wife in the end. And also, his wife's mother accosted Agrippina in a public place in front of all these other women and slapped her right in the face and called her a bad woman. Ironic, as honestly, I don't think she was a bad woman yet. Yeah, she hadn't even done anything really. Yeah. She'd just been a married woman who had a child who ran afoul of a crazy emperor. Get ready for some confusion. Okay. Okay. Mr. Agrippina, as was Hannibarbus, father of Nero, had had a married sister. And Uncle Claudius asked, I have that in quote, asked this man, Agrippina's brother-in-law, please divorce your wife and go ahead and marry Agrippina. So Agrippina married for the second time to a man we will simply call Crispus. He was very rich, he was very powerful, and he and Agrippina had no children after all in six years of marriage. And there were so many people in the upper classes with very, very limited offspring. And so I was interested enough because it's considered a problem, like a historical problem. Even then it was considered a problem. That's why men who were 30 had to get married. Um, They needed to produce some children. And I've got a link that I'll give you later that the upper class Romans, here's a theory that I just read that makes total sense. They were rendered nearly infertile due to their habits of heading to the hot baths every day. Oh, it's the tidy-whitey situation. So hear me out. These baths, even the famous Roman ones at Bath in England, can naturally get to 120 degrees. Some of the others in Rome were purposely heated to be much hotter. So hot, in fact, that people who weren't used to them complained of being, quote, boiled (laughs) and turned red in the baths. And even now, men who want children are encouraged not to get into a hot tub. Anything above body heat, which is why everything is exterior in the first place, if I can G-rate the explanation, (laughs) heat kills half the necessary ingredients to make a baby. Hmm. But wait, what about Germanicus, you say? His wife and he conceived nine children. I mean, they had six living ones, but they conceived (laughs) and had nine. What about that? Well, you know what? They weren't mostly in Rome, were they? Even while glamping in a fancy tent, I doubt your hand-carried bathwater is going to be hot enough to interfere with the situation. Excellent point. So anyway, whatever this situation is with the fertility, it definitely explains the preciousness of Nero to his mother. I mean, she only had one roll of the dice here. Yeah. So Uncle Claudius had a wife named Messalina, who was just as protective of her own son, Britannicus. And here's where our Agrippina is very smart. She wisely, wisely stayed out of the way, out of the press, out of the gossip. I'm a matron, I'm a matron, la la la. Do not look at me, I am just in the country. She said nothing, she did nothing, she handled her business. That is how... You have to act when there is a crazy, loose canon. But unfortunately, the last surviving sister, let's call her Julia because her other name, Lavilla, is too hard to say. And a lot of people called her Julia. So Julia put her head up. (laughs) Mistake. She's partying. She's intriguing. She's 
super beautiful. And she ran afoul of Messalina and got herself exiled again on charges of adultery and ultimately condemned to be starved to death as a punishment. So I looked this up too. If you don't have water, Mm -hmm. uh, you're looking at less than 10 days. But if you do have water and you don't have food, you could have 30 to 40 very bad, very bad days. Wow. The Longer than they do it on Survivor. What? Survivor's, what, 30 days? 32 days? Something. Yeah, but Survivor. they always have peanut butter challenges or something. There's no, they have peanut, them... peanut butter. They have like dead cockroach challenges. But they are they are they do have some food. I mean, they're they're on an island that has food, and they are given you know rice as rewards a lot of times or beans or something. So they just eat beans and plantains the whole time. Man, I think I think if you add any food at all, you're gonna last longer than 30, 40 days. Oh yeah. Well, anyway, like I said earlier, respect for life or concern for suffering. It's just not there. Like, all down the line, just not there. And then there was one. Out of all her family, Agrippina is the only one left. Keep in the shadows, Agrippina. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so an appearance at an event where Messalina and her son, Britannicus, they got a hooray. And then Agrippina and Nero's appearance led to people losing their voices, screaming in happiness. <laughs> we have to refade quick because that was not good. Messalina did send assassins to kill little Nero. Kill him in his bed. And they were scared away before they could do the deed. They were scared away because they thought they saw a snake, which turned out to be... You know how little boys collect objects and things? And it turned out to be a snake skin that he had picked up somewhere and put under his pillow. Because uh-huh. it's like something, they sleep with it. The rumor is that they got scared thinking there was a snake and ran away. And he had a bracelet made of a snakeskin icon, and he wore it a long time. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, you know, whether or not that is true, the whole snake aspect of it, the truth is assassins were sent to kill him and didn't succeed. Agrippina's husband died suddenly, suddenly, when she was 32. And, of course, the word went out that she had poisoned him, and I'm kind of puzzled why she would have. It would leave yeah. without a protector, and up to now... She has been pretty much a model woman. Why would you even think that? It's not a good time, number one. And um, she did conspire to get rid of Caligula, which almost everyone agreed had been necessary. Well, if she really did do it, which, you know, unlikely, this is her first victim. Her husband's death did leave her very wealthy, but his life left her very wealthy, too. It's not like... She wasn't enjoying the fruits of his wealth while she, he was alive. So that couldn't be a motive, do you think? No, no, I, I had the same problem. I couldn't figure out why. I mean, Nero was still, he wasn't quite a man robe age. So he wasn't there yet. So she still needed that protection that being married gave. So I, yeah, I couldn't quite figure it out. Nero was left most of his stepfather's property. Would have happened in time anyway. He didn't have any other children and technically she had an obligation to marry again and have more children she's 32 there's time technically you're supposed to get married again you're not allowed to be lurking around um but she was a little off the radar right now um you know she'd engineered it that way number one but claudius's wife messalina was what am i going to say imploding with this degree of lack of self-preservation that is just hard to fathom i thought of her as messalina accent on mess so a lot of times i look back on especially accusations of sexual misconduct with a great deal of doubt because that is what you say when you want someone out of the way right messalina i 
sneaking around, competing with prostitutes to see who could have more partners in one night and winning, flaunting her affairs in the emperor's face. All those are a maybe. All those are a maybe. Right. But making enemies, not being careful, and giving them ammunition, definitely. We can prove that for sure. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. She had ordered some deaths for sure. She was very drunk with her power. And she went so far as to actually marry another man while her husband was away. And so when Claudius thought he might forgive her, how about that for Claudius? Easily led, maybe. No, his administration was not having it. Guests of this wedding were literally rounded up wherever they were. I see it like a, um, a montage of, we're eating, click, handcuffs. We're driving our chariot, click, handcuffs. Just randomly getting arrested all over the place. Anybody who had been to that wedding pretty much was killed. Messalina, who had not been allowed to see Claudius because, like Henry VIII, the last person to talk to him usually won. So they were going to not let her speak to him. She was ordered to commit suicide, and when she just couldn't bring herself to do it, the messenger just did it. There's no formalities, like, hand me this thing, then. <laughs> well, Claudius didn't actually have a long history of marriages. His first betrothal was dropped after his, her family got caught up in a scandal. His second made it to the altar, but died on their wedding day. The next one, he divorced when he suspected adultery. And the next one was called off for political reasons. And then there was Messalina. So Agrippina hears all the ins and outs of all this from a sort of boyfriend of hers that worked as a member of Claudius's staff. You know, they'll be looking for a wife for Claudius soon. Mm-hmm. But uncle and niece was a degree too close, a relationship to be acceptable even to the Romans. Yeah, it and was it, against the law. Yeah, forbidden, yes. Yeah. And there was another choice, in fact, Caligula's ex-wife. Um, so she began clearing the way, Agrippina did, for her son to marry her uncle's daughter instead. We're going to cement the next generation together because uncle and niece, we're not going to pull that off. And um, so this is the very first instance in which I think... She did something really bad. Claudius's daughter Octavia was already engaged, and Agrippina had this kid, her fiancé, falsely accused of incest with his sister to get him out of the way. And that ultimately led to his death. That is bad. That is categorically, that is the first really bad thing I can see that she has done. So I think Agrippina, though, saw this as her best chance to get her son on that throne, which seems to be her story arc from now on. Her son, therefore herself, by proxy, I think was the plan. Mm -hmm. um, she used her connections, honestly, the Germanicus thing, still powerful, still a ticket to the VIP room, her oh. wiles, and what is described as, quote, the privileges of a niece to kiss and caress her uncle, gross. I know. Whatever. Whatever worked. A special case was put through the Senate. An exception was made. Maybe it's the thought, hey, this little feud that started with Tiberius and Agrippina the Elder really divided the family. Let's just bring everybody back together by this marriage. And I'm reminded of um, the War of the Roses, Elizabeth of York. Let's just bring the two ends together with a marriage and then any child that results will be part of both in the end. That'll be the end of the feud. So whatever it is, that worked. Caresses or logic. I don't know. It was a win for both sides. Right. Because she ticked off all the boxes for a wife that Claudius needed. True. And he ticked off the main box. 
that she could get Nero onto the throne. Well, so on New Year's Day in the year 49, age 34, Agrippina married her uncle Claudius and became the most powerful woman in the empire. It's like <laughs> something happens here. It's like her manipulative genius was in some sort of a box, like it was a sleeper cell. <laughs> just waiting for a trigger like this. And because she instantly, this is number two bad thing, instantly got rid of that other romantic rival by accusing her of sorcery. Another very convenient accusation that is hard to prove or disprove. Yeah. And following that up with punishment. And she forced her stepson Britannicus's tutor to commit suicide after he grumbled about Nero in front of a witness. Whoopsies. He said something like, uh, like, I hope Nero knows that Britannicus is the heir and doesn't forget himself. Like that kind of thing. Oh, well, yes? Well, I hope you forget to breathe with this knife in you. <laughs> like, come on. She was rumored to have exiled this random girl after Claudius commented that she was beautiful, which is really the only one of these that doesn't seem to fit her pattern. That does seem strange to me. Yeah. One source that I read said she had her killed. Poisoned. Either one. Well, she... And obviously, some highly placed assistants convinced Claudius to go ahead and adopt Nero. See, remember Britannicus exists. Britannicus is the blood son of Claudius. And that adoption in this time of that low fertility had the force of actual kinship. Nero was 13, Britannicus was 9 or 10, and now Nero is the emperor's oldest son. Dun, dun, dun. Just to tie everything a little tighter, he's betrothed to Octavia, who's Claudius's daughter. So this is a pretty tight little family ball right here. So poor little Britannicus, I have to say. Any sympathetic tutor or servant was just kicked out of the palace. I mean, I don't know that they went through other than that first one and like made everyone starve to death, but you just can't work here anymore. Arrivederci. He was left out of everything possible. And when they had to be seen together, Nero would be dressed and treated as an adult. Britannicus would be dressed and treated like a child. That is a PR campaign. The people, the citizenry, mm -hmm. the audience, as it were, got the drift of what. Yeah. Oh, we're sp okay. This is going to be probably our next emperor. Right, Fair this enough. is number one in line, and then there's the spare. This is the heir, that's the spare. Now, I will say that Agrippina did, I'm not going to go into detail, detail, but most historians agree that during this period, things that happened that were good, anything that Claudius did during this time period, you can nearly, with 100% accuracy, determine that Agrippina had a hand in it. If nothing else, she brought some stability to that throne that had not been seen since Augustus. You know, the aristocracy was more comfortable with her there. And they were the ones, you know, you got to worry about. They're the ones that are going to topple the emperor. They're the ones that are in the Senate. They're the ones that really have a lot of the power, especially since Tiberius had pretty much given all his power to the Senate. And then here's Caligula, this crazy person who tries to take all the power back and puts everyone in complete and utter chaos. Agrippina poured oil on the waters. It, let's mm -hmm. all be, let's be calm. Let's be good. Let's get back to some common sense. Let's mm -hmm. build some things. Let's yeah. make some projects. Yeah. Um, she kind of did what her mom did in some regards. Like, okay, I'm here. I'm going to make myself useful. Agrippina received the title, the honor of being called Augusta, which basically places her on a level with goddesses like Minerva or Juno or the concept of peace. 
which is also feminine and called Augusta. Isn't that interesting? Um, <laughs> but it basically gives you worldly power and influence. It's like saying um, your most reverend highness. It's the highest possible thing. It puts you in an untouchable place. She was seen and regarded as a co-ruler. Unheard of. Unheard of. She wasn't allowed to stand exactly with Claudius, but she was close by. She was wearing this golden military cloak, and she got to visit with dignitaries. And this is, I think, one reason that Agrippina has such a bad reputation. <laughs> um, you should know when, when you read Tacitus, as you should, he does not like her. He does not like the fact that she stepped out of the women's sphere in this way, it mm -hmm. irritated the very conservative men who are writing the history. So there is a veil of, I don't know if I'd call it male chauvinism, but I would definitely call it disdain that you have, it's like a, a dirty, a dirty screen you got to look through when you read these books about um, Agrippina, because no matter what she did that was good, it wasn't a wifely good. It was some kind of stealing the rights of men. So wait, I want to add a little thing in here. The settlement where she was born was actually uh, renamed after her. Um, Colonia, Claudia, Ara, oh, good luck with this, Agrippinicium. Mm -hmm. Come on, one more time with confidence. Colonia, Claudia, Ara, Agrippinicium. Oh, very good. Anyway, it's modern day Cologne, Colonia, Cologne. Hey, hey. It has nothing to do with perfume, at least not from that end. So, no. <laughs> uh, so that's pretty cool that her legacy lives on in the name there. That is actually her. Mm -hmm. So Nero, age 16, officially married his stepsister Octavia. So there is now a double bond, but there was trouble in paradise. There was trouble in paradise. Agrippina was so used to running her husband slash uncle that she pushed him too far. You know, these constant demands sort of escalating from legitimate complaints. Uh, there's another thing here I don't really understand. Condemning a man on false charges so she could get hold of his gardens, for example, seems <laughs> not in character either. No. But so people were starting to say she was getting a little petty and a little Caligula-esque. <laughs> how about that for a word? That's uh, a good word. Let's bring it into common usage. And can I put that on a t-shirt? <laughs> yes, if you can spell it, or if you can say it. It's not a real word. We can make up the spelling. <laughs> well, and evidently she still had the same boyfriend, that one who gave her the tip-off about becoming the empress in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, adultery was still punishable by exile, so it seems like one of those things, like not signaling, I, don't, I guess, that can get you a ticket if you're in an accident, but... Unless their whole goal is to simply give you a ticket. Nobody's ticketing you for it. Does that make sense? <laughs> anyway, Claudius, while drunk, was heard to say that he was fated to endure the crimes of his wives before he could get in and punish them afterward. So that is not good. You know, uh-oh, you might even say. Because if those are his real feelings, you know, real feelings might come out when you've had a few. If those are his real feelings, that's not good. No, and Britannicus was coming up in age. He was going to be of age, and so that would make him more of a contender against Nero. One of her enemies said, and I quote, no one can have any doubts that she considers her reputation, her decency, and even her own body as cheaper than power. And one of her supporters said that she was a very chaste woman unless she needed to do something. <laughs> And then she put the chaste away for a while. <laughs> so that probably refers to that boyfriend, I'm guessing. But anyway, 
So the record diverges <laughs> again. So either you have to admit it's one or the other. And then Susan's going to kind of give you a little rundown of one of them. So either Claudius died of natural causes, age 64, at a pretty inconvenient time for her. <laughs> or Agrippina poisoned him or engineered his poisoning more like. What poison exactly you know after the cleopatra thing you'd think it'd be snake venom or something equally as fabulous but hemlock or aconite probably the latter also known as wolf's bane so if anyone paid attention in professor snape's potion class you already know that <laughs> so there's several versions of the poisoning that yeah. have come down through history yeah, and and you'll read them all as fact, so I don't, you know, in different sources. The, one says that he ate this tainted mushroom. Um, the poison didn't work immediately, so his doctor shoved a feather down his throat to make him chuck up the poison mushroom, but someone had poisoned the feather, too. Okay, so wait, I'm going to jump in here. So you're like, what? How is that not suspicious? You're yeah. asking. Unfortunately for Claudius, and honestly for all Romans who didn't have enough to eat ever, the aristocracy would often eat themselves sick and tickle their throats with a feather so they'd vomit and have room to eat more. There's actually a reference to that practice in the Hunger Games. If you remember when Katniss and Peeta are at Governor Snow's house, there's this little glass of pink liquid. I don't even know if that's in the movie or just in the books. Ooh, hard to tell. There's a little glass of pink liquid that you drink that makes you throw up so you can eat more at the feast. Isn't that great? So anyway, the feather going down your throat was as usual an object to him as your toothbrush is to you. So no, not suspicious. Although it is a little uh, Agatha Christie-like to have some poison on it. Yes. <laughs> okay, so version B is the first poison didn't work. So Agrippina brought Claudius some gruel to soothe his stomach, but that was also poisoned. I like the feather story just because it's a little more dramatic. Yes. <laughs> gruel. <laughs> also, that doctor that stuck the feather down had the awesome name of Xenophon. Ooh, there's one to bring back. I think that's Xenophon. And it's, you know, Xenophon with an X. But speaking of things we can't bring back, it doesn't matter because now Claudius is dead. And this is probably a really good place to take a break. And when we come back, we'll find out what happens in the immediate aftermath and beyond. And we're back. So Claudius is dead. And Agrippina is tap dancing, not literally, but figuratively to buy time. Well, the plans went forward to have Nero take over, which I, here is my wonder. If Claudius was poisoned while this wasn't already in place, you know what I mean? If you're going to go this far, why would you leave the end of your strategy just flapping loose like that? I don't know. We're talking about a very short period of time here. We're talking like hours after his death. We're not talking like months or anything. That's right. So here's one thing. Agrippina had to face the facts that the Senate might not pick Nero. He's only 17, or Britannicus, though a blood relative, he's only 13. You know, neither of them had the, I guess what I might say, they don't have the right to succeed, Claudius. Like say, okay, say our orderly line, Queen Elizabeth II, Charles, mm -hmm. William, George. We already know, we know all the way down. Right. In this dynasty, it was kind of open season, like the best man wins, which kind of, to me, in my own personal mind, lends some credence to a natural death because there's a political mess right now. Mm -hmm. So we need a tactic. 
So Agrippina, Nero's tutor, and the head of his guard, they all kind of took the morning while Agrippina stalled for time, even at one point summoning a troop of actors to, quote, entertain the emperor, even though he's fully dead. Shh, don't tell. So, yeah, so they're buying time. You know, she's got Britannicus in the room. Oh, your father's great man, blah, blah, blah. More to keep him from blabbing than anything else. So they arranged among them for Nero to come out, meet the troops, be carried in jubilation to the guard headquarters, and named head of the army. Germanicus's grandson. Okay, so these are her people. These are the guys she can count on to have her back. The troops. And so the Senate's hand was kind of forced. Like, if the army, the whole army, <laughs> backs yeah. one guy, I guess Nero it is. Yeah. You don't want to go up against the army, even if you are the Senate. So a 17-year-old emperor is going to be super vulnerable. So Nero, i.e. Agrippina, you know, openly gave most of his power to the Senate. You know, like days of old. I'm just the first among equals, right? Just like Augustus was. I just, I'd like to keep my power over the army. That's my heritage. That is my father's legacy to me. I'm going to keep a hold of that. And I'm going to cede the rest of, you know, civil, legal. You guys just have that back. And it really took the wind out of some rebellious sails, for sure. And people who otherwise would have spent their time plotting now have a lot to do. So that is super intelligent of Agrippina, <laughs> I should say. So Nero yeah. had been brought up very strictly. Lots of references to duty and study and responsibility and honor. And at first, he was willing to be guided by his mother, just as Claudius had been. He even put his mother on coins with him. And then to be derailed by this dumb thing kills me. And then he fell in love at 18 with a beautiful freed woman. I want to say her name was Acte. Yes. A woman of low birth. He'd never be permitted to marry. And he absolutely defied his mother and moved that woman into his house and became an artiste, a musician, a lover of fine food, a party guy. And now he decided he had a mind of his own with regard to politics, too. It's like the seal was cracked. (laughs) Like he defied her in this one thing, and now he was defying her in a lot else. And the inevitable started to happen. You've got factions starting to form again. Dignified Mm -hmm. conservatives around Agrippina. And the fashionable, pleasure-loving, I don't even know. We call them hedonists. That seems a little harsh. But, like, the people who are ready for, like, can you feel a brand new day? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) they're all with Nero. And um, he started to be a pretty bad guy. We're kind of back to the scandal and the embarrassment that happened when Caligula was the boss. Kind of. Um, People, you know, you had different viewpoints. I mean, you might do a good thing. That, like, gives you some money, but in general, he's kind of corrupt, and he's kind of unfeeling. I'm just saying that you know how the bull is the one thing I used to know about Caligula. The other thing I know, which I don't know because it's not true, but it's the story. (laughs) It's what's come down about Nero is he fiddled while Rome burned. Which would have been a great story if the fiddle was actually invented back Correct. then. <laughs> a long story short on that one, he was accused of burning large segments of Rome so he could put up a building that he had wanted to put there and got denied, so suddenly it caught on fire. That's the short version of that story. <laughs> but the fact that that's all we know about him, you know, his reputation is not good. From no, no. 
there was a vague thought among the conservatives that perhaps Britannicus could be brought into power. He was smart. Uh, he wasn't prone to frivolity. Like, why would you be when you've been repressed since you were nine or ten? He might be molded into first a proper figurehead and ultimately into a great man. Okay, so we do have a spare. Nope, 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 nope. Suddenly, Britannicus died. <coughs> Poison. Yes. <laughs> At a dinner where Nero was presiding. Hmm. Hmm. So the talk immediately turned to poison? Yes. True or not? Doesn't really matter. It was generally believed that Nero had killed his stepbrother. And so, honestly, Agrippina was thrown. Shocked. Like, oh no. Oh no, what have I done? <laughs> um, the easier path was now closed, number one. And now she had to work with what she had. Like, what did she have? Oh, it didn't go well. It didn't go well at all. And after Nero met another woman, another woman, why? This woman's name is Poppea. Um, it wouldn't have been worse. She was actually eligible. She was already married, but you know how easy that gets put away. She was already married to one of his friends. Yes. Certainly yeah. easy enough to take care of if you're emperor. Correct. Wealthy family. She's beautiful. She is very dissolute, I guess. You know, she brought with her all these loose morals, luxurious living. There were these things are so attractive to a guy who's just escaped from a joyless childhood. Like all these strictly parented kids who go off the rails in college. <laughs> and the gaps between the mother and the son just continued to widen. Nero forced her out of the palace. You know, go live, go live in the country then. Get out of my face. Still in luxury. Don't get me wrong. She's not. Yeah, we're not in a. We're not in a. Uh... A prison at this point. Oh, no, no. Just, like, please get out of my face. Mm -hmm. And he canceled her bodyguards, though, so anything can happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he sent away her boyfriend, Pallas, still on the scene. Maybe no longer her boyfriend, but still a good friend and advisor. It's like, well, I might, could not send you away, but I can sure get rid of him. And he did. And Nero took care never to be alone in a room with his mother, they sort of maintained appearances in, in public, you know, duty visits and all that. And just literally gone. Gone were the days when people appreciated the order, the common sense that Agrippina had brought back during Claudius's reign. There were just full-on Caligula chapter two now. Yes. <laughs> and um, she was a big thorn in his side. She is just a fun sucker. <gasps> I think he just got to the end of his rope with just never feeling... Like, he could be his own master. Like, there is... Mm -hmm. I don't think it had too much to do with, oh, she won't let me marry Poppea, I will kill her and then marry Poppea. Which he did, but not till much later. But I think it was more like, you know what? I am always going to be seen as the arm of Agrippina if I don't get rid of her. Mm -hmm. I'm never... I need to be my own man, my own emperor, not a mama's puppet. Nero determined to have his mother killed, but he's got to be very... Very careful. She is the great-granddaughter of Augustus, the great-niece of Tiberius, the sister of Caligula, the wife of Claudius, and my mother. Mm -hmm. She is fully in this dynasty. Most importantly, the daughter of Germanicus, if you can believe that's most important, and it still is. And she'd been given the title of Augusta. So you are really going up against the likes of Juno. You are going to battle a goddess here. So Oh, yeah. you got to be careful. That said, careful is not his middle name. No. The stories of his assassination attempt 
very greatly in details. But they all seem to involve inviting her for a reconciliation, mm -hmm. knowing she'd have to travel by boat, interfering in some way with that boat to sink it, mm -hmm. and failing to realize that Agrippina could swim and make it to shore. Right. With the full knowledge that her son had tried to kill her. So, you know, the elements of the story that vary, there's on the boat, there's a collapsing lead roof. There's a collapsible bed that will smother her. The bottom of the boat opens up and the boat sinks. Another boat is sent to ram that boat and sink it. There's a little wrinkle in the story that someone on her boat, a lady, wanting to be rescued, screamed out, I'm Agrippina, you've got to help me. And they beat her to death with oars. So it didn't help her, and Agrippina made it to shore. Um, so there's different wrinkles, but all of the elements are that there was some kind of sabotage and some kind of trickery, and it ended up with her knowing her son had tried to kill her. Uh, I do not know, after having spent your whole freaking adult life working on the chessboard, trying to get him to the throne, and then this is your repayment. I, You know, that doesn't feel good, I think. No, I, I agree. And honestly... I see this is if you had texts right now, this part might be fixed too. Because he was thinking, because the word came to him that she's not dead, his initial panic was, Oh my god, she is enraged, she's gonna get on this road, she's gonna come to Rome, she's gonna tell what I did, all hell's gonna break loose, people are gonna rise up, I will be killed, the end of my empire. He's like building up all these scenarios. Mm -hmm. Which were fact, very legitimate scenarios. Yes. But in fact, she had become, I don't want to say resigned at all. I want to say the shock of learning her son had just tried to kill her. Well, then, so be it. I'm going to go home then, and I'll just wait for developments. Because I can't possibly be on my guard against my own son who's determined to kill me. I'm, that, I can't even, I'm sad. It's done. I'm just going to go home. And let the chips fall where they may. If he had known that, if she would just been like, you know, seriously, question mark, on a text. <laughs> you know, I'm just going home. Bad word, bad word, you. The end. I'm no longer your mother. I wish you well, blah, blah, blah. No, it was miscommunication. He threw cleverness out the window and just panics and just sent an assassin to kill her. Just go stab her then because this has to be over. I'm freaking out. <laughs> and what are her words, Susan? Smite my womb. That's a fine set of purported last words. Who knows if they're real? But what an end to that story. That part of her body that created her enemy stabbed me through that part of my body, please. <laughs> and he was very upset at her funeral. Good. Is, I know. Is what I have to say. He was supposedly haunted by her ghost. That's very <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe. Haunted by her ghost, um, a.k.a. his guilty conscience. And he actually hired some Persian wizards to chase her away, her ghost. The original Ghostbusters. And uh, now I can't hum the Ghostbusters song. I, I was trying to get the music before oh. the Who You Gonna Call. Did it, did, did it. I don't even remember the music. I just saw the new Ghostbusters movie. I did too. I did you like it? No, I give it a, like a, a 60 out of 100. <gasps> yeah, and if one of the characters hadn't been there, it would have probably gotten a 30. <gasps> yeah, I didn't like it. I thought it was you, very bad. I went with my daughter, and we thought it was great. Well, plenty of people liked it. I'm not the queen of the world, so. Did you see Bad Moms? I find it so cringy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Movie reviews brought to you by. 
Anyway, the life of Nero after his mother died, just as a, you know, as a quick postscript, um, he had Octavia exiled and then executed. He married Poppea and they had a daughter who died and then she was pregnant again. And supposedly he jumped up and down on her stomach until she was dead. What a horrible thing to do. He's super winner. I know. And then he totally went off the rails and castrated a young slave who kind of resembled her. And he named her Sabina after her and dressed him like her and hauled her around acting like he was his wife and ended up killing himself after a 14 year room because really nobody liked him. (laughs) The end. Oh, he's a mess. Okay, so rather than place his mother in the tomb of Augustus, where most of the rest of the family was buried, uh, she was just bundled up in the old howe into the ground and not even given a marker until her household put one up much later. You know. It's a bummer. I mean, there you go. The end. Ignominious burial. It seems like the final insult, too, because almost everyone else has been brought back and placed reverently in the tomb of Augustus. Honestly, that's the end. That's the end of our story. That's the end of Agrippina the Younger. She didn't have a good legacy. And, you know, think about this. Nero didn't have a good reputation himself. And who was his mother? Speaking of bad moms, let's tie that back. (laughs) So she got tarred with the bad mom thing. Even, like, we just forget. We, we, meaning the historians, forget the good. They focus on the end game, which... Honestly, I don't know what you can do. He's got two advisors that are kind of ranged against you. You're just the mom. You don't live there. You can't Mm. control him. While you were there controlling him, it all went great. But somehow, when he goes off the rails, it's her fault. Yeah. So Always blame the mother. She tried her best. She did some bad stuff. No more bad stuff than any of these other people. Like I said, you know, human life seemed cheap. You push people out of the way to get what you want. That's the school in which one is raised, I guess. So I don't know that condemning her any more than any of the rest of them is going to hold water, kind of. Yeah. So anyway, yes, Nero's and Caligula's problems became her legacy, too. That's a really sad end. (laughs) I know. So now it is time for media, and oh, oh. So unlike the last episode, the Elizabeth Keckley episode, when I feel like I didn't have a lot, I have a lot. I have never, I am trying to think if there's a subject I have used so many different sources for. Honestly, this is the first one. I had to literally write a timeline, like this year, this happened, this year, this happened, and I had to refer to it a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one gave me a headache, too. I was quite surprised. Because there's not really a whole lot of books um, available. Like, I, I had to wait. We had to do, I had to do interlibrary loans just on her life. So you have to get all the books about ancient Rome and the emperors and put them all together. And they're all different. <laughs> you know, you have to, like, find the common threads in all of them. Yeah. So let's give you some books here. Uh, Anthony Barrett has a book called Agrippina, Mother of Nero. And you have a second one by him? I do. Sex, Power, and Politics in the Early Empire, which was very detailed. I have to tell you, I found, and this is very easy to access. We'll provide you a link. There's a book from 1911 that is actually online. You can read it. It's in uh, the public domain. It's called The Women of the Caesars by Guglielmo Ferrero. 
Uh, it's an English translation. Chapter six is where you want to hit for this um, particular subject, but if you want to go back and read chapters four and five, then you've got Augustus and Tiberius too. It'll give you some um, context. I found him the easiest to read, which was very surprising. Yeah, no kidding. Also available online, book-wise, both of the ancient historians we mentioned, The Annals by Tacitus and Suetonius's Lives of the Twelve Caesars. They are both readable online. A lateral book, I always like doing those. There is a book also available for other time periods too, by the way, um, by different authors. But this one's called Daily Life in Ancient Rome by Carciopino, I'm guessing. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's got lots of articles about education, um, what happens in the morning, food, what is a spectacle like, how do we spend the evening, social classes, woman and the family. It's just very good background reading. Do you have any more books? Because I have one that's like, do you usually pick the offbeat ones? But I have an offbeat one. Well, I have two more. I guess Dynasty by Tom Holland is all about, um, you know, these rulers right after the Republic had fallen. Um, so mm -hmm. that one is really good. You know, like Susan said earlier, you kind of have to get to Agrippina largely through the men in her life. And she was involved with five Caesars. So you get a lot of you get a lot of her if you just even just study the men. Um, for further reading about Nero, <laughs> if you want to go there, <laughs> Richard Holland, not sure if it's any relation to the other book, wrote a biography of Nero. Um, yeah, Nero, that ungrateful child, Nero. <laughs> I'm like, that wasn't what it was called. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> okay, so my daughter was reading a, a nonfiction book, which was very unusual for her. And she was like laughing hysterically. And she's like, Mom, these, this book is so great. You need to read it. And I picked it up. Oh, look at that. There's a whole chapter in here on Agrippina and Nero. But it's just one chapter. But it, and it's not like a heady. It's it's like very light reading. But it was just a real fun read. It's called It Ended Badly, 13 of the Worst Breakups in History by Jennifer Wright. Now, she does quote Wikipedia. So go in with that mindset. But just as a fun little, but as a beach read. I mean, I thought it was really fun. I liked her style, too. Okay, so I'm going to get first in on video because I call this. Cause these okay, go ahead. Supersizers go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that one, they talk about garum, which is like fish ketchup, mm -hmm. fish sauce, and we use fish sauce now. There's, you know, I'm going to give you a link to some fish sauce. Um, there's <laughs> some in my refrigerator because I've been on a tie bender lately. Oh, there you go. Well, there's an article about it from NPR called An Ancient Condiment Rises Again. And guess what that means? Hipster culture has gotten a hold of garum actual garm that you can buy called coloratura dialici and you can actually buy that for 30 40 dollars a bottle or you can go to your local asian market and thai fish sauce made of as far as i can tell the same ingredients but maybe not the same history um is about four or five dollars um that's the one i have so yeah there's um gosh that was like the most vivid part of that and the fact that they're eating lots of organ meat but you know what they're not eating tomatoes because guess what they came from the land of america Ta -da -da. so italian food with no tomatoes imagine that and a whole bunch of pepper whole bunch of pepper. <laughs> um, I did actually pick up from my library a great courses set called The Emperors of Rome that had it had an accompanying book too. So that had a lot of information in it. And I, if you're into this 
time period, I would strongly recommend that. There's also a BBC special called Ancients Behaving Badly. It's about mm, 48, 49 minutes long. It is available on the BBC website. I'll give you a link. There is a silent movie from 1911 called Agrippina that is on YouTube also. And if you can read, I believe it's German. It could be Dutch. I'm so sorry. But, you know, just maybe pop in, take a look at it. There's also the I, Claudius miniseries from 1976. And, you know, okay, so I have this down. And unless you're really good at Roman history, uh, if you don't mind getting mixed up, I guess, there's (laughs) historical inaccuracy, but it might make people come alive. And then you can go back to the history. So all the episodes are on YouTube. All of them are. Picard (laughs) is in there. Did you see him? Yes. I mean, I don't, the actor's name, what is his name? It's not Jean-Luc Picard, obviously. No, it's um, Patrick, Patrick. <laughs> that guy. Not for children. Not. No. In O. Ditto the movie Caligula, which I did not watch. <laughs> Just going on reputation only. The I, Claudius, the production values, wow. Woo. All right. <laughs> That's... That's all I'm saying about that. Okay. Um, Janet, it's of its time. It's of its time. It's, it's an award-winning time. series. It's, right. it's worth watching, but man, the shadows alone <laughs> will kill you. Okay, so there is a person who calls herself a hairdressing archaeologist um, named Janet Stevens, who has tutorials on YouTube for how to do, say, Agrippina's looped ponytail. She takes statues and paintings and recreates using period methodology how one's servant slash slave would have done your hair including uh agrippina's hairstyle requires a lot of sewing your hair together i thought that was very interesting that is cool i love that we would be really bad if we didn't mention the history of rome podcast by mike duncan yes Yes, it ended, this blows my mind, it ended in 2012, but it's still in the top history podcast for good reason. I mean, it's brilliant. And I love his voice. The ones that relate to this particular episode are episodes pretty much uh, 57 to 64, but episode 69 is a really good one about the history of Roman weddings, and it'll tell you all the traditions that we have still that were in play back then. Um, I'm just going to, I guess, put all these in the show notes. I've got a link to Poisons in Ancient Rome. Man, these show notes are going to be big. They are going to have a lot of exciting rabbit holes to fall down. There's Which is also, good because there's not a lot of pictures. So, <laughs> um, There is a children's site on the BBC about Roman life that is very suitable for anyone 6 to 15. It's perfectly G-rated. Several museum collections of Roman artifacts... I'll put links to that, too. There's also a poison garden in England. (laughs) And the tagline on the article online was, Try not to die strolling through the grounds of this toxic English garden. So I'll put you a link to that. I wonder what kind of Pokemon Go critters are in there. (gasps) Oh, my. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Might be worth checking out. Well, anyway, so that's all that I have with regard to media, which was a lot, a lot, a lot. Me, too. I mean, me, too. I'm done. That's all I've got. So that is it for the life of Agrippina the Younger. And you know that old Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. Well, Agrippina lived in the most interesting of times and it wasn't ever smooth sailing. God, I just wish it had turned out differently. I wonder what would have happened had her father become emperor. And if we'd know her at all, how about that for alternate history? Whoa. 
Thank you so, so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye! If you liked what you heard today, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. Special thanks to my friend Christy, whose offer to take my child to the pool led directly to your ability to listen to this episode today. If you have mom friends in your village, call them up to say thanks. They make the world a better place. All the links from today's show can be found at our website, thehistorychicks.com, and the Pinterest board for Agrippina the Younger holds even more rabbit holes to fall down while you're exploring. The end song is The Killer in Me by Amy Spies. The History Chicks podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Oh, shit.